All right, sir. Um, welcome to everybody. I uh, just want to go ahead and get started with uh, with this uh, fifth iteration of the Joe Talks, and uh, we will uh, get started. Yes, we'll go ahead and get started now. Uh, so this is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Brett Lee, with uh, formerly with Aqua LA, I'm in the middle of a transition between Aqua uh, LA and my next assignment uh, in the 82nd Airborne Division, but. Uh, we're doing uh, our uh, Joe talks with uh, Colonel Abadi of the Army Futures Command, uh, focused on Project Convergence. Um, so, uh, for those of you who have not uh, been on before, uh, LA started this back uh, in February as a opportunity to reach out to the entertainment industry, creative professionals, to inform them on uh, Army operations, missions, initiatives, and people who serve. In our uniform uh, and also to inspire them to tell our story. Um, we uh, then created Joe Talks to um, to reach out in a virtual space due to the, the inability sometimes of getting people to come out to uh, the west coast and uh, and so we've been doing this now for for five months now. Uh, so today's topic is uh, is looking forward future um, future warfare and how uh, the Army is preparing for uh, future conflict. Uh, and so who we have with us today is uh, Colonel Dre Abadi, who is a co-lead for the Army Futures Command's uh, Project Convergence Operational Planning Team. Uh, he's a 1996 graduate of the U.S. Military Academy, originally from Lafayette, Louisiana, and commissioned into the Signal Corps as a uh, Bachelor of Science in Computer, Eng Computer Engineering and uh, many master's degrees uh, in information assurance, government information leadership, military art and science, strategic studies, and a PhD in information technology, management, security, and assurance. Uh, he's had multiple, many, many uh, assignments, of course, uh, most recently with the 311th Theater Signal Command and the 1st Cavalry Division, including a tour in Afghanistan most recently. So uh, welcome, Colonel Abadi, to uh, Joe Talks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brett. And look, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk Project Convergence, uh, and I appreciate that ACPA LA put this together. Uh, it's a great opportunity because um, I'm, I'm getting to talk about my passion, you know. So you mentioned it. I benefit from being part of a really special team uh, that works at the headquarters of Army Futures Command in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm currently coming to you from the Pentagon, though. I'm in the nation's capital right now. But, you know, what I'm going to talk to you about today is something that I'm passionate about, and it's really because it's kind of a, a product of my childhood. So, you know, growing up, we, we imagine these things about curiosity, it's about learning, you know. So, like some kids, I wanted to play Army. Like some kids, I liked science experiments and blowing things up. And so, it's really amazing to have that kind of uh, energy as a, as a child, and this idea of curiosity and discovery, and then being able to do it professionally. Um, and I'd also say, you know, it's kind of, humbling to, to hear about the degrees, but I'm actually a, a product of the benefits the Army provides. So throughout my career, and it's been 25 years now, uh, the Army has been incredibly generous to me in terms of offering opportunities for education, for me to continue to learn, and those things culminate in, in what I get to do right now for Army Futures Command. So uh, before I start talking, if we could please play the video. Hoping this is going to work.
As the army looks to the future, one thing is certain. A combined joint force operating across all domains, air, land, sea, space, and cyberspace, is essential for our national security. Project Convergence is a campaign of learning designed to aggressively pursue an artificial intelligence and machine learning enabled battlefield management system. Because whoever can see, understand, decide, and act first will win, and winning matters. The Army is demonstrating new technologies as often as every two weeks. With these emerging technologies as the foundation, Project Convergence demonstrations will consist of multi-domain operational environments where the Army will demonstrate artificial intelligence and networked lethality capabilities that augment human sensing and decision-making on the battlefield. Project Convergence is designed around five core elements. People, weapon systems, command and control, information, and terrain, guiding innovation, and our ability to support the joint kill wave. People are the foundation of everything the Army does. We must have the right people with the right skills and training in the right roles to succeed in complex environments. The Army is integrating into the joint staff-led joint warfighting concept. The Army developed Project Convergence to enhance combined joint all-domain command and control and focus on four key topics for modernization. Sensor integration, effects integration, applications, and data. The Army's signature modernization efforts give our soldiers the weapons they need to be the most lethal and effective force in the world. Linking these efforts in a joint learning environment allows the Army to act faster and more decisively than any adversary. With increased speed and sensors comes a need for the next generation of command and control capabilities. Investments in mission command systems that emphasize centralized intent and decentralized execution. The Army must leverage information and data at scale, in near real-time. Project Convergence is empowered by artificial intelligence and machine learning to employ all sensors, the best shooters, and the right command and control nodes faster than any adversary will face. Finally, these four elements work in concert, but must be correctly positioned at the point of need to enable joint effects and achieve overmatch. Simply put, terrain matters. Through experimentation and learning, Project Convergence helps ensure that the Army has the right people with the right systems appropriately enabled in the right places to support the joint fight. That campaign of learning in action is the inaugural Project Convergence 20 demonstration held at Yuma Proving Ground. Critical to the capstone event was the opportunity for the Army's most senior commanders to see how Project Convergence will shape the way we fight future conflicts and what we will fight with. As we plan for the future, Project Convergence will fully incorporate the joint force in 2021 and our closest allies in 2022 to ensure we remain unified against any threat. Project Convergence, a campaign of learning measuring our future capabilities against a future threat as we seek constant improvement on how we train, organize, and equip our people, while ensuring decisions can be made in real time with capabilities placed strategically around the world. Thus ensuring continued security for America and her allies. Right, sir. All right, thanks. So, you know, so what is Project Convergence? Um, if I could offer a theme, it's the Army's approach to really trying to understand how artificial intelligence, robotics, and autonomy can change how we fight in the future. 
And, and as I was kind of preparing for this opportunity to talk to you, uh, I started thinking about, okay, what movies covers artificial intelligence? And, and the track record is really not very good. Um, you know, you immediately think of Skynet, we think of robots, robots who kill everyone, uh, even RoboCop, you know, went off that edge. And so I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what, no, I've seen a movie. If I remember correctly, Eagle Eye was really good about AI that gives statistics, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about using these technologies to inform our leaders. And so I watched Eagle Eye this weekend. And exactly like I remembered, it started the movie, the AI gave statistics, analysis, and really informed the leaders before they made a decision. Unfortunately, the leaders made a decision the AI didn't agree with, and then the AI went over yeah. to kill everyone. So it, it didn't really fit in the end, and that's unfortunate. But you know, the takeaway is we're, we're, we're trying to leverage technologies in a meaningful way to resource our leaders for success. Um, and, and there's a couple of ways of looking at that. You know, so from a practical standpoint, if you consider the idea of combat, one of them is how do I use artificial intelligence to, to find threats, to find targets? Where's the enemy? How can I engage the enemy uh, and protect my force? Uh, another way to kind of consider AI and this idea of autonomy and robotics is how can I get these elements doing the dirty, dangerous jobs that, that I don't want my soldiers to do? So, you know, if you watch movies about combat, uh, let's just say like Vietnam, uh, we were always most concerned with the guy who was called the point man. He was the one walking in front of the squad. And unfortunately, generally, he was the one who triggered the booby traps uh, and not a very high success rate. Um, but an incredible, important job. And within that squad or platoon or whatever the formation was, the point man was actually probably one of the most important members of the team. So it's this idea of how can I take artificial intelligence robotics to, to kind of change the way we see risk and now have a robot go out there at the point of danger um, and then see things and pass them back to the command post and we prevent our soldiers from being in that desperate harm way. It's the same way with, if you just imagine, you know, these ideas of storming the beaches of Normandy and breaching these obstacles and a lot of these things that are just, you know, horrendous aspects of war and combat. Um, how can we leverage these technologies to do that? That's, that's a really important aspect. The, another piece of this, and this is a technical term, so just, you know, I apologize up front, but it's the idea of cognitive burden. And, and, and what it means is a combat leader in the future is going to have so much information coming at them. And, and how do they process that information? How do they make sense of it? Uh, and how does it inform their decisions? And so this idea of reducing the cognitive burden, uh, we use the from an artificial intelligence standpoint, it's the idea of decision aids, um, decision engines, um, to crunch all that data, if you will, process that information, uh, and then propose things to, to the leader. And so as we bring those three things together, what we're finding in the Army is it, it all gets into this idea of data and how, our, how do our boxes talk to each other, how do our weapon platforms talk to each other, how does that information get shared, but more importantly, how do we take a combat leader uh, who's forward um, and ensure that he or she has the most relevant information necessary to their mission and has the most capable tools and systems to support their success. And it's, it's a really interesting way of how do, we, how do we bring that together. And so what we do for Project Convergence um, is we kind of take existing technologies from our labs. So the government has science and technology labs uh, where our workforce is generating solutions, um, whether it be basic or applied research, and then they start to, to build and prototype things. And what we do is we try to bring that out into the, we used a Yuma Proving Grounds out in the desert, and, and we 
we just kind of conduct an exercise, if you will. We do something that an operational unit would do, and therefore we can start to see how well these, these prototypes uh, work, um, how well do we need to change them. Um, for Project Convergence 20, we're really just focused on doing things faster. And so uh, how fast can I get the target? How fast can I engage the target with a, an artillery piece, with a UAV, uh, with a, a, a machine gun, you know, all those different ways of doing it. But how do I accelerate this idea of going from that, that sensor that finds the bad guy to the shooter that engages and protects the force? Um, and so that was kind of the attempt and it was really just about us doing things faster by leveraging these new technologies. Uh, as we go into this year, Project Convergence 21, we're going to continue that same path, but we're going to look at other things. It's not just about, you know, how quickly can we engage a target? We're also going to look at how well do we sustain the force? You know, how do we resupply missiles and rockets? Uh, we're going to look at how do we do this, this concept of an air assault where soldiers come into a helicopter and they go to take an objective. You know, we're using um, technologies, it's, it's called IVAS, the Integrated Visual Augmentation System. But, you know, just think of some of the Microsoft technologies where you're, you're wearing these big goggles um, or a visor even, uh, and it's, it's augmenting your reality. So for a soldier, that system might be telling it where the threats are. That, that system, you know, as you're in flight in the helicopter, maybe it's a seven minute flight, maybe it's a 10 minute flight. In the past, the soldiers were on the helicopter and they had no idea where they were going or what was about to happen. So for the 10 minutes they were in flight, they don't know if the situation changed. They don't know if the enemy you know, came. They don't know any of those things. Now with these technologies, throughout the entire flight, the soldiers can see where they're, where they're going. And therefore, the minute they hit the ground and they assault the objective, they're that much more prepared for what they're going to engage in. And so it's those opportunities to, to, to really leverage technologies in the hands of soldiers that's important. And, and it's ironic, Brett, that you're going to the 82nd. You know, the 82nd uh, is, is, you know, one of the centerpieces of Project Convergence between the 82nd and then the Army's multi-domain task force. We're bringing units and soldiers into our experimentation to let them inform us in terms of how well this stuff works. You know, we don't want to work these IVAS goggles and wait to give it to a soldier when we say it's ready to be bought. We want to give it prototype, 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 and then let soldiers tell us how well these things work. And so Army Futures Command has this, this idea, it's a principle of soldier-centered design. And as often as we can, we iterate on prototypes and we, we, we allow soldiers to inform our leaders' decisions of the things we're gonna buy to field that future force. And that's kind of really the, the special sauce in terms of what we're doing, because it's, it's the American soldier who truly understands what, what needs to be done in combat and truly understands what they need to have in their hands or at their left and their right in order to do the things that we need to do uh, in a future fight. And so we're relying very heavily um, on those units to come out, not only see if they, they might end up breaking things, and that's great, that's what the Army does, uh, but more importantly, they're gonna give us you know, their insights, uh, and that's, that's pretty much invaluable. Um, a big theme for us for Project Convergence 21, uh, this is a joint force entity, so I don't want, you know, I am sitting here as the Army, um, but we're privileged to have collaboration from all of our service partners. So the Air Force, the Marines, the Navy, everybody's on board for us to do these things together because look, the Army doesn't fight alone. That's just a fact in terms of what we do. So, you know, we're bringing not just Army technologies, but joint technologies to these experiments uh, in order to see how we fight together. And more importantly, to see how we can potentially explore new ways to fight in the future. How do we integrate in a novel manner? 
Uh, and then that way we can share that with the leadership here at the Pentagon uh, and the Joint Force. And then moving into Project Convergence 22, um, you know, I said we don't ever fight alone and we fight as a Joint Force. We also don't ever fight at home. And so we're going to be somewhere in the fight supporting America's interests. And so we're going to start looking at coalition partners and understanding how we would fight with our coalition partners. And more importantly, how do our technologies integrate with each other? Because we're going to be fighting somewhere. And what we've, what we've seen, not just the last two decades, but much longer than that, we always have a coalition partner on our side in the fight with us. So that's the next big piece that we're going to look at in Project Convergence 22. But that's in a nutshell, Brett, and just like to, to turn it over to you. No, thank you, sir, for, for the opening. That, that's great. Uh, I will say for the uh, for our attendees, uh, if you have a question, put it into the uh, Q&A box. I'll be able to see that. Um, so, sir, you know, it's if you could explain, you know, we have this great power competition going on uh, now and for, you know, many decades. Um, how how is the Army's concept of a future conflict in a great power competition? Uh, how is that uh, framed by multi-domain operations? How is multi-domain operations different from the way that the Army, you know, 10 years ago considered a great power competition? Um, if you can sort of explain just the framework that Project Convergence is, is operating in in a multi-domain operation uh, battlefield. Yeah, so, you know, I'd start off with just saying, you know, as a, as a disclaimer, as we design experiments and we plan these things, you know, we remain grounded in the operational problems we're trying to solve. And so, uh, last fall at Yuma Proving Grounds for Project Convergence 20, we, we attempted to replicate part of that multi-domain operation sequence. Um, and I'm sure not everyone in the audience understands this stuff, but, you know, we use terminology like penetrate. You know, how do, how do we initially go into that, that danger zone, if you will, uh, and penetrate it? And then once we penetrate, how do we disaggregate, which is just a term of saying, how can we confuse the enemy? Can we present dilemmas to them in order to provide our opportunities to go further? And so as those windows opportunity are created, then we, we exploit. And this is where we kind of see ground maneuver and the things that the Army does well uh, in terms of exploiting those opportunities. And so those are terms from our multi-domain operations concept that we want to follow because if we envision that, that concept of how we're going to fight, then that's how we're trying to structure the experiments. Now, to answer your question, first off, I don't know 10 years ago how much we were even considering great power competition. We were pretty entrenched in counterinsurgency. Um, and in all honesty, from a, from a professional culture standpoint, that aspect and the way it shaped our leaders um, and the way it shaped our processes in terms of how we fight uh, is a challenge we have to overcome. Because what's different and what's different in terms of how we frame multi-domain operations, to answer your question, is speed and scale. And so this idea of great power competition, what is going to be different is the speed at which we fight and the scale. And so you can see literature out there. A lot of people kind of harken all, all the way back to World War II in terms of the type of fighting it'll be. Um, it'll be larger formations, et cetera. Um, now, where the fight occurs will probably shape some of the dynamics. Um, but I think the, the, the base premise is of, of us just saying, hey, we have to do things faster and we have to do things with some level of simultaneity that we're not currently used to, uh, that gives us a guiding post for going forward. Oh, thanks, sir. That uh, I think you know it is a complex thing to understand. Uh, for those of us in the army, we sort of harken back to pre the pre-coin era. We would talk about air land battle, 
Um, and so this, you know, multi-domain operations has been compared to airland battle with with a couple of extra domains. Could you just sort of for the audience just explain what we all mean by domains and how you use a word like convergence on those domains, what that actually means in, in, in practice. Yeah, so the, the Department of Defense defines uh, the warfighting domains as being land, air, sea, um, space, and cyber. Um, and so, you know, some of it, there's traditional thinking, you know, so if I think land, I think Army. If I think sea, I think Navy. If I think air, I think Air Force. Uh, we have a Space Force now. Um, there's not necessarily a cyber force, but there's a very large cyber command that helps us prosecute through that domain. The idea of convergence is how can we integrate effects across all those domains um, in terms of whether it means uh, leveraging one domain to present a dilemma in another domain. Um, the other piece is really, and I think the challenge we're going to find as, as a joint force is how do we do command and control across all those domains simultaneously as we conduct operations because you know you'll hear the term you'll hear the term joint all domain because that's how the joint force sees us fighting and if we're not leveraging all domains and to some degree with some level of simultaneity then we're probably not optimizing the way we're fighting and so that's what they mean you know it's easy airland sea space cyber is a little quirky um, but incredibly valuable and truly probably going to be fundamental in the future fight so uh the enemy obviously has a say, sir, and you know, obviously, we have the caveat that we're not speaking on any kind of policy. But um, how has the development over the last twenty years of enemy capabilities informed the way that we view a future battlefield um, and the way that we are approaching multi-domain operations? Um, so, you know, from a general sense, and I love to read about this stuff. You know, there's this idea of we can't hide anymore. Um, uh, and then I, I think if you take that, and, and I'm sure there's going to be exceptions to that, but if you start with that assumption, it'll, it'll shape the way you decide to fight. If, if you think that, you know, this, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, just the, the surge of different sensors out there, whether it be micro satellites, you know, all these technologies that are, that are sensing um, and that are, that are available to all nations, you know, I think really, uh, what's changed over the course of time is um, it's not it's not necessarily a great nation state with you know some massive economy that can purchase some of these technologies. There's a lot of things now that the cost is so relatively cheap um, that almost anybody can do it. Um, that's what posed us a lot of problems in terms of counterinsurgency. But I think it'll have similar problems if a future fight turns into some level of a war of attrition. Um, what we do from a project convergence standpoint, though, uh, is we we almost compulsively try to make sure we're being threat informed. And so since everything I talk about, you know, lends itself to data uh, and it lends itself to communication networks, uh, what we try to do is break those things. Um, and, and how do I understand when the existing network I have will break from a performance standpoint? And then more importantly, can I replicate an enemy activity and break the network through that to see how well I understand that impulse? Um, but uh, from that threat standpoint, it's also about, it's, it's one more measure of success for the technologies we're trying to deliver to the force. And so if we think the enemy has a capability and the technology cannot operate uh, under those conditions, then we probably shouldn't be investing in it. And, 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 and we're trying to maintain that 
that recognition that, like you said, the enemy has a vote um, and the enemy can fight. And therefore, we need to shape that into our experimentation as we make decisions going forward. Right. You alluded to that earlier, sir, when you said you're talking about speed and scale. I guess the scale and scope of warfare is is growing exponentially. So, um, you know, and that is informing the development of weapon systems um, as well, with even longer range artillery effects uh, being developed. Um, how is that shaping strategy, theater strategy in the way that you all look at it with the, the idea of anti-access area denial? Um, how is that, how is Project Convergence help to understand how to even get to the fight to begin with? Yeah, so, you know, I would, from, from reading, you know, literature, you know, editorial pieces, when we have these conversations, it kind of sometimes gets into parochialism, uh, where there's, there's roles that are well understood, um, but that may not be the way going forward. Uh, Project Convergence doesn't get into that. That's not really our focus. What our focus is, is this idea of optionality. And so what I'd like to be able to demonstrate to a, to a joint force commander somewhere in the world, that now you're not limited to that one weapon system to engage the target. You might be, you might have three weapon systems, one's army, one's navy, one's air force. And at that point, you have options. And then the decision can be what best fits your operational scenario, what best fits the way you fight the force. Um, and so when we're doing experiments, it's this idea of novel joint integration. Can I do something? Can I bring elements together in a way that maybe wasn't currently envisioned? And by doing that, I'll have the op opportunity for a commander in the future to have some options in terms of how they prosecute the force. And, and we want to inform those discussions. So even if it gets parochial later on throughout the processes that the DOD has, that's fine. I mean, that's our culture as a profession. Um, but what we want to offer is, hey, we learned something in this experiment. Hey, look what this F-35 can do. Hey, look what this Aegis cruiser can do. Hey, look what this new Abrams tank can do. Watch what they can do together. Wow, we didn't know that. And then and let leaders make decisions or really let the community have very professional dialogue about potential for changing the way we fight in the future. Thank you, sir. Um, you mentioned, obviously, uh, Artificial intelligence and autonomous capabilities play a, a huge role in project convergence. And we actually, our last Joe talk was with Dr. Uh, Cook at West Point uh, talking about the development of artificial intelligence. Um, it's a fascinating discussion of where AI is headed in the future. Um, where do you all see, you know, project convergence 35? Uh, I mean, how do you see AI progressing uh, into it, the integration uh, into how we fight in the future? So a lot of the ways that we look forward to things like 2035, um, in, in a way it's trying to trying to understand, and this is beyond just AI, this is really, you know, science in a way, um, trying to visualize what a moonshot might look like and then allow the scientists, the experts, to kind of walk us back in terms of what scientific breakthroughs have to occur to get to that point. Um, a lot of our conversations on the AI side specifically begin to devolve into technical considerations. And so it's this idea of computation, specifically computation at the edge. You know, can I, can I have the right computer systems in order to process all that data? Um, it gets into this idea of how do we bring data together in meaningful ways? Uh, and a lot of that is probably going to be things that we're not even envisioning right now. 
Um, uh, the 82nd Commander talks about a single pane of glass and, and how do I bring a single common operational picture that all these systems feed into and allow that leader to have one view, one single pane of glass. And that gets back to that comment I made earlier about cognitive burden. And so uh, a lot of what we look at is artificial intelligence, again, to, to this idea of increasing speed, this idea of uh, reducing the cognitive burden on our leaders, uh, and this idea of you know, identifying threats to the force faster uh, in order to, you know, to, to protect the force, in order to provide that commander um, a little more time to maneuver as he goes through threats. Well, and, you know, speaking about AI, you kind of alluded to this with the movie Eagle Eye. Um, so what, uh, just from your viewpoint, you know, what do you, what do you see that Hollywood gets right about near future conflict? And what do you see that they get wrong? I mean, obviously you haven't seen everything, but, you know, movies such as, you know, Terminator and, and, uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, you know, films that are integrating technology into future warfare. I mean, where do you think that they're hitting on things that look like what we will actually be doing? You know, I think some of the stuff is interesting when they talk about, uh, I, I would just say, like accessibility um, to technology. You know, so if, uh, you know, if you think of things like uh, the TV show 24, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Jack Bauer is on his own, he's out there. And boom, on his phone, he can bring up satellite imagery of wherever he's sitting. Um, I think, I think things like that, whether they can happen now or not, I'm not 100% sure. But I do think we vision that as being what's necessary. You know, a, a lot of our efforts is pushing capabilities as far to the edge uh, as possible, enabling a tactical commander uh, with as much capabilities as possible. And so, you know, I talked about this proliferation of sensors, and um, that's going to continue. And so I would hope that a command in the future will have a handheld device that he or she can start tapping into uh, to see things that they, today's commanders wouldn't think is even possible. And so I think some of those things are right. I think um, when it's escaping me the name of the movies, but some of the ways that they show robotics uh, from an augmentation standpoint, whether it be carrying loads, uh, et cetera, uh, is quite accurate. Um, at least, you know, in terms of the way we're already trying to do it. Uh, but yeah, you know, again, if, if we just move past the AI killing machines, uh, I think we'll be closer to the way the Army sees the employment of artificial intelligence in ethical ethical manners. Yes, I think uh, yeah, everybody always, everybody always goes to Skynet, like immediately when you talk about artificial intelligence, that, that's like the boogeyman. Uh, Skynet takes over the world and we all end up being in the matrix. Um, so. So uh, obviously, one of the things we hit on on the last Joe talk was just how organizationally future warfare is going to radically change the way the Army and, and the Joint Forces structure. Um, because some of the things you're alluding to are taking soldiers away from the tip of the spear and replacing them with autonomous capabilities. Um, do you all, you know, obviously Project Convergence is just one aspect of this, but do you see that we will continue to m remove soldiers from harm's way and replace them with autonomous capability. How far do you see that progressing? If that's well, I mean, I really hope so. I, I think uh, you know the, the the bigger issue is you know can we do things that are lighter, smaller, cheaper? Um, I don't think again 
Dre's opinion here, that we're going to necessarily replace soldiers. I think what we're going to do is we're going to allow soldiers to focus on more important things, uh, specifically things that human humans do best. Um, the other thing I, I think we're going to see as we go forward is um, all this technology that I'm talking about, um, a lot of it is software based. And so when we're doing experimentation uh, and we're evaluating things, you know, it's kind of about, okay, what am I going to fight with in the future? Um, how am I going to fight? And then how am I going to organize for combat? And, and this idea of organizing that I think you're hinting at, it turns into a talent management discussion. And so with Project Convergence uh, last fall, uh, we had this really interesting, you know, so it was, it, was, it was a magical activity in the sense that it brought soldiers, civilians, and scientists together in the dirt, and it was like 128 degrees, it was a miserable uh, experience, but very focused on, on solving the problems, very focused on taking a, a, a technology that might not have been quite ready to go, but we thought it had promise, so we brought it, and then working to make it better while we're out there. And so we had this one instance, you know, one box didn't talk to another box. And, you know, a leader walks up and says, hey, I want those two things to talk to each other. And the answer was, well, they're not designed to do that. Well, can you do it? And, you know, you give us, you give our, the, the people in the Army a challenge, they rise to the occasion. And so I, I want to say it was about 48 hours. They coded and fixed the software to do what that leader asked for. And so one of the takeaways we had was, you know, this idea of doing software development, it's well understood in industry. It's somewhat understood in the Army, but it's going to be absolutely critical in that future fight. Um, because in the future fight, if the scenarios change, if the conditions change for that commander, for them to have soldiers that can get in, can code, can change the systems to replicate what's needed for battle is absolutely critical. So at Army Futures Command, we stood up the Army Software Factory. And we're starting to kind of harvest some of this talent that the that is in the army. The soldiers are there, you know. Now, now they might not be doing that for the army. They might be a truck driver. They might be a cook. But when they're at home, this is what they're passionate about. And so the army software factory is getting the opportunity to bring them into what they're what they're passionate about and allow them to apply their unique skills into this new idea of what we think is going to be a requirement in the future. And so soon we're going to start to build that bench of talent. And that is the aspect that is going to be necessary, I think, in the fight. That's the things that AI can't necessarily do. And we're going to need that new idea and, and new respect, to be honest with you, for the talent that the, the soldier brings to the fight. I think that's you're right on track there, sir. I mean, I think it's it's a, uh, a fundamental shift in, in what we're looking for in soldiers. Um, we're always going to need certain types of soldiers to do certain types of jobs, but we're really expanding the aperture of of who can contribute to the army fight uh and like you said somebody who grew up coding could be an essential uh warfighter for for the army mission um and i think uh from the the new army marketing campaign the recruiting campaign they really sort of tapped into that that idea that uh we have uh there's a lot of talent out there that uh, is going to contribute to not have considered in the past. Um, so you talk about the uh, the acquisition of, of new technologies. I mean, do you, do you see that we are 
the, the state of the art, the changes uh, as threats are evolving, um, that, like you said, being able to recode something on be an essential part of, of how we fight in the future, being able to to be that quick in changing when, when it's necessary to change. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think, um, you know, this this is one of those moments where it's going to be more than technology. There's some culture that we're going to have to overcome. Um, there's a level of trust that needs to come both in the technology and then in, in the soldiers that will bring these skill sets. Um, I think when it comes to the acquisition of technology, um, you'll, you'll find a, um, I would say an overarching theme that's shared amongst the Department of Defense uh, as well as the Army and the other services that we need to find ways to do this faster. Um, and for the most part, the, the limiting factor tends to be some level of bureaucracy. Uh, some of this bureaucracy exists for all the right reasons, uh, but when it comes to these technologies, uh, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're not giving us this opportunity to field them and put them in the hands of soldiers at the same pace that we think the threat is developing. And so this will be something that, that will, will kind of be a consistent push across the board, um, but it's more than just the technology. This gets into, you know, how, how do we operate as a profession? How do all our processes work? That's business processes as well as, as war fighting. And, and therefore, you know, I'm always confident leaders will stand up, leaders will make changes. Um, what we need to do, what Project Convergence needs to do is experiment, find the hidden gems, find that emerging technology, show that it works, collect data to prove that it works, and then allow our leaders to accelerate it and get in the hands of soldiers faster. But it all starts with that initial experiment and that demonstration of what's in the realm of possible and what we could do. Yeah. Um, so going back to you know, the discussion on, on enemy capabilities, sir, I mean, obviously open source uh, format we're in here, um, but uh, what what is it about the enemy threat that that Project Convergence is is, is most worried about addressing, um, just from a general sense, um, that they the capabilities they can apply to us that we are most concerned about? Um, well, I think most enemies are, are are concerned about. I mean, I think they have two concerns. I mean, from a technology standpoint, it's how we command and control, and you know this idea of can they can they neutralize our command control systems. I think they're also bothered about just the the power of the American soldier, the leader. We have leaders that can, you know, operate under this idea of guidance and intent. We have leaders that can take initiative, you know, and so there's there's some things that I think I think the enemy realizes they can't necessarily target. Um, but I, I do think and there's plenty of stuff in, in the media um, about other uh, great powers talking about AI specifically. Um, in terms of how, you know, the, the first nation to, whether it be master artificial intelligence or really just unlock the, the potential of it, uh, will potentially shape the future. Um, and we can just only hope that whatever nation that is uh, has some guiding principles um, that allow them to do it in the appropriate manner if it's ethical. So as a uh, public affairs officer, I, I have to talk about information. So how does information um as a war fighting function um play in this war when information is global now and it can reach a combatant before they even consider deploying troops anywhere. what what role does information play in, in multi-domain operations 
So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, and again, this is my personal opinion, I think information plays a role of, of, of us maintaining the trust of the American people. Um, so how accurately we can present what's actually happening uh, at whatever location. But I do think we're going to need to identify technologies that can help us better understand, if not at least recognize disinformation. And it's that disinformation campaign that some of our um, other competitive nations seem to uh, openly engage in uh, that is problematic. But there's, there's, there's likely to be tools uh, that will at least allow uh, our leaders to understand it's happening, um, you know, in terms of how do you mitigate it, uh, how do you stop it, et cetera. Uh, that's a more interesting discussion um, and probably not for this forum, um, but that, that needs to be, you know, weighed heavily uh, because of the damage it can do. And, you know, speaking of, you know, how they're using this information in, in new, new uh, dangerous ways, you know, what over the last 20 years we've been focused on a counterinsurgency era and counterinsurgency uh, operations. You know, what has changed about our near-peer adversaries that is now being addressed in project convergence over the last 20 years in, in their use of technology? Um, I'm not sure we're doing a lot on the information side. We, we are experimenting with this idea of uh, non-kinetic effects. Um, so the things that can happen in cyber, um, you know, the other things that, that don't involve uh, you know, don't involve blowing things up, you know, because we, we express deep concern with the idea of collateral damage um, and, and what can occur. Um, but on the information side, I, I don't think Project Convergence as an entity uh, is really exploring that. Um, that that's, that's more, uh, and we'll see. I mean, if, if there's a, again, like I said, if there's a technology that allows us to, to better uh, identify disinformation as it's occurring, that, that'll be critical. Um, that would be the kind of thing that would be important to a commander because um, again, like I said, we don't ever fight at home. And so therefore that disinformation can be incredibly dangerous uh, for, the, for the coalition partners that we're relying on or whatever host nation uh, might be involved. But at this time with Project Convergence, I, I wouldn't say we're, we're really tapping into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we do have one question uh, asking about uh, software, how it can be protected from hackers. Uh, I know you're not a cyber guy necessarily, um, but uh, is that a potential threat and what might be the threats to the future if it's not focused on, if we're not focused on counterinsurgency? So just looking at, you know, the, the threat of hacking uh, in. Yeah, so I would refer to that as a persistent threat. I mean, that's not stopping. Um, you know, from my experience when it comes to cyber, you know, we have this in the movies glamorize this as well as the, there's some kid in his mom's basement with a hoodie and he's hacking your computer. Um, I think what reality tells you is a lot of the hacking tools are publicly available. Um, they're fairly cheap and they're automated. And so it's really about a guy pushing a button and then coming back later to see what he caught. Um, and so we, we, we deeply re respect the fact that that is a persistent threat. It's happening all the time, 24 seven. And so as we're designing software, uh, it's the, and you'll hear this term DevSecOps, but it's this, it's where the developers the security folks and then the operational folks that are going to actually use the software are coming together in a meaningful way to iterate solutions. Um, and, and the reason it's DevSecOps is because the security piece cannot be left out. It's, it's just absolutely too, too, too important. Um, and it gets even more critically important, at least in our eyes, 
when it comes to our weapon systems uh, and the things that more and more are, are again becoming software driven uh, and digital, if you will, in nature. Well, we certainly very recently seen the strategic impacts of, of hacking with the uh, Colonial Pipeline and um, certainly those kinds of persistent threats that are uh, sometimes nuisances, but sometimes, you know, can be very uh, damaging or going to continue in the future. Um, so you obviously you see that as some component of the enemy's anti-access area denial will be a hacking component of that to hack into command and control systems. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about, you know, you know, the cyber domain, a lot of it also gets back to, you know, the cost. Um, and that cost is not always monetary in nature. It's the it's the cost of taking an action that involves back to your, your, your comment about information. So I'm going to do something now. And, and now on the information space, uh, it brings risk to whatever I've just done uh, because of the way it exposes me, the way it portrays me, um, et cetera. And I, I think that's a, a part that we can't lose sight of either. Looking forward, sir, you know, uh, you mentioned Project Convergence 21, uh, the focus. What can, can you speak specifically about the technologies that you're looking at in 21 and, and going forward, uh, what you can foresee in 22? Um, you know, I can't go into depth with a lot of the technologies, uh, yeah. you know, but I'll give you one that some people kind of take for granted, uh, unless you're a soldier. Um, you know, there's a technology that um, if you've seen the movies and you see a, a soldier medevaced, um, and sometimes it's this hoist that goes down. And, and so uh, what actually happens is as that's, that hoist is being raised to bring the soldier up, it spins. Um, and, and that spin is, is, I mean, just imagine if you're the soldier, you're already not in a good shape. And so now this thing's spinning like crazy. So we actually, there's a technology that is a hoist that doesn't spin. Um, and, and, and that's an opportunity to make a difference, you know, for a soldier. So we're, we're, we're excited about that. Um, but most of the other stuff that we're doing, you know, unfortunately, it's not, not really appropriate for this net. And it just gets after the things I talked about. It's about, you know, you know, how do we, how do we do everything faster? How do, how do we see how do we understand and then how do we act? Um, and and really, so it it's well over 100 technologies and it's not, again, it's not just Army technologies, uh, it's joint technology. So each of our partners is bringing something in um, in order for us to, to get that meaningful contribution. Well, I, I, you never ask a question you already know the answer to, I guess, but uh, I'm assuming that the soldiers uh, take very kindly to this technology. They, they're probably are, are sort of geeking on it, as they would say. Well, so I, I think, yeah, from a, not necessarily that hoist, but, you know, some of these, like this IVAS, uh, yeah, some of the soldiers are, are pretty excited about the way it's changing. And that's why we're we're just happy that the multi-domain task force and the 82nd Airborne are, are, are coming together with this because they're, they're the octane to this experimentation. Uh, again, it, it's, let, let me find an organization that has some degree of imagination who fights, that's what their profession is, but I'm going to give them something. I'm going to say, hey, this this can do this differently. You don't have that right now. How would you use it? And then you allow the genius of that commander, you know, the, the imagination of, of his or her staff uh, to come up with new ways to fight. And that's really what we're, we're on. You know, it's, it's not, you know, what, what 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 could we do in the future? And that's that's what's really necessary. So, sir, uh, if you can explain to us how Project Convergence fits in the grand scheme of all the Army exercises that are done every year. I mean, obviously, COVID put a wrench in all of that, but 
where does it fit in all of the other large-scale Army exercises that are, that are conducted? Yeah, so Project Convergence is going to be the centerpiece for the Army going forward. Um, it's a campaign of learning, so this isn't just, you know, we're not just doing it this year, next year. Um, the leaders uh, have kind of expressed this. There's probably going to be a decade-long event, if not longer. Um, so that campaign of learning also drives what we call unity of effort. So for all those other experiments, all the other things that we're doing in the modernization space, uh, Project Convergence kind of gives you that central azimuth to kind of bring things together in a meaningful way. And, and we do that because we want the outcomes of all those other things to contribute to what we're learning in Project Convergence. Um, you know, when I say a campaign of learning, I, I truly mean to learn. Um, and so we're looking at it that way. It's It's got support from Army senior leaders um, and all, it's got support from our joint partners. Uh, and so we're just excited about the opportunity it gives us um, because we do need to act now. We, we do need to bring these technologies to, to the force as soon as possible to ensure they're ready for that future fight. Uh, that's awesome, sir. And I mean, it's it's really exciting to, to view this uh, going forward and to see the focus that the Army has placed on modernization. I mean, obviously standing up a four-star command, uh, first time in 40 years uh, to address modernization. It just shows the emphasis that the Army is placing on, on preparing for the future. Um, well, sir, uh, pending any other questions, I, I am really uh, glad that we got the opportunity to speak with you um, about this topic. You know, it's, it's something we keep coming back to because we find that the uh, entertainment industry, you know, they're always trying to figure out what things are going to look like. There's a lot of futurists out here trying to figure it out. And so uh, we keep coming back to this topic of future warfare. Uh, and I think this uh, definitely helps us to be better informed about uh, about what you know, um, for our audience i'll say that we do um, we will have this recorded it is on our youtube channel so that uh, everybody can view it uh, if anybody uh, was going to be calling in but didn't have the opportunity um, but so i'll leave uh, you an opportunity for any final comments that uh, that you may have yeah so brad i just want to say again thank you thank you to you as well as to aqua la um, you know, thanks to, to whoever, not only is who on and who's on now, but who might be watching this video in the future. Um, it's a privilege to represent Army Futures Command. Um, and so for me to have the opportunity to, to talk about the things that I enjoy uh, doing every day uh, is just a, a sheer privilege. So again, uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, look forward to any future discussions. Thank you, sir. And thanks for everything you're doing uh, over there at Futures Command. Uh, as I, we will probably be running into each other uh, pretty soon as I take over uh, over there at the 82nd Airport. So I'm sure we will be meeting again. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's it for our Joe Talks. Uh, actually, personally, my last Joe Talk. Uh, it's been a thrill doing these. Uh, really enjoyed it and uh, very excited for uh, where Joe Talks goes in the future. Uh, this is a great, another great example of uh, how we can connect the Army with uh, with the entertainment community because we understand the value and the impact of what entertainment entertainment uh, media has on the American public and helping them to better understand their army. Uh, so anything that we can do from from our seat to try to help the American public better understand the army, uh, we are more than willing to do it. So uh, thank you, sir. Thanks again, and uh, thank you for everybody attending. Take care.